Church, we're continuing on in our series today, To Be Continued. Remember, this is a series out of the book of Acts in your New Testament. Uh, we kind of called the subtitle of this series, uh, To Be Continued. Acts has 29, 28 chapters. You and I are chapters 29 and beyond. So we're, we're going to try to act like that this morning. I want to ask the question as we dig into things today is how in the world do you move forward when it feels like you're not moving at all? How in the world do you move forward when it feels like you're absolutely just stuck in place? Uh, I'm going to do something very, very dangerous this morning. Is I'm going to ask you to remember a dark time in your past. I'm talking about the summer of 2020. And some of you are like, I'm not going there. I can't do it. It's too soon. That's okay. Right? This is a safe space. It's a gracious place. I go back to the summer of 2020, and I remember a lot of those headlines uh, that, that were like cast and like people, you know, talking heads on, on TV and YouTube and all that, like, like telling me over and over again, hey, listen, Dirk, don't worry. You're not, you're not stuck at home. You're safe at home. You guys remember that one? And you're like, yeah, I kind of feel stuck, though. Like, uh, if, I'm, if I'm totally honest, uh, safe at home, sure, but also very, very stuck at home. And it's like, I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I very much feel like I'm not moving anywhere. I'm just plain stuck here. And it's like, even if I could leave the house, like, where am I going to go? Everything's closed anyway. And so we picked up a lot of weird habits, some of them healthy, in COVID times. One of the healthier ones that my wife and I picked up, uh, we just started walking. I think it started because we just needed to leave the house. We needed to walk away from everything there and just, just get out, put a little distance. And so we would walk around our neighborhood like over and over and over in the morning, afternoon, evening. Hey, you want to go for a walk? Yeah, let's go for a walk. Okay, just to, just to do something. And it felt, it felt at the time we're walking around this perimeter of our neighborhood, this little loop where, where you could still like probably see the grooves in the ground, in the sidewalk. We did it so many times. And it felt like we were zoo animals walking around our enclosure. We're not getting anywhere. We're not moving anywhere. How do you move forward when you're not moving at all? You're just plain stuck. Now, that's like a, like a physical kind of stuck, and some of you remember that. Uh, we can expand on that idea. That some of you in the parenting stage that you're in right now feel no less stuck. Like the parenting stage that you're in right now, your life is dictated by nap times and meal times. And here's the thing, is that the dictator that you work for, that newborn or that toddler, you don't know when those meal times or those nap times are going to be or if they're going to be. And so your whole life is like tethered to this vicious dictator who changes his or, or her on a whim, the opinions, and, and your whole day is like thrown up, and you're like tethered, you're stuck, you're tied to this incredible person, right? And you, and you love them, sure, but they can be mean. <laughs> I, watch the, I watch the Food Network at home, you know, and we watch, and the judges, you know, and they like eat that bite, and they're like staring down, and they're like, not enough salt, right? And it just, it's like, oh, you just, you did them dirty, you know? Like, and I'm just imagining, oh, no, no, the meanest food critic in the world is the toddler, where you make dinner for, right? And you could prepare all day. But if that grilled cheese is, is cut, heaven help us, is cut in rectangles instead of triangles, that food critic is just going to throw it off the table onto the ground, right? And it's like, you knew triangles. It's like, you asked for rectangles. Yeah, but I don't know my shapes all that well. You should have known what I wanted, you know? And then somebody, and then some loving, caring, well-meaning individual comes up and says, oh, 
aren't they precious at that age? <laughs> and what's the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the line that's always used? The, the days are long and the years are, you've heard it too. And when you hear that, it's like, I just want to punch the person that said, it's like, the years are not short enough, right? And it feels, it feels stuck. You're stuck in this stage. You're stuck in this phase. How in the world do you move forward when it feels like you're not moving at all? I talk to enough people and encounters one of those churches. It's people are coming and going. People are here for a little while. And, and honestly, we love that. You know? If you're here in West Michigan for a little while, maybe it's a job that took you here and you're like, listen, I'm not going to put down roots. This isn't my forever home. I'm going to move on from here. You're, here. you're here for now. You're stuck here for now. If you're here for school and it's like, I will give Grand Rapids, Michigan four years of my life, hopefully not another semester than that. And then I am out. You're stuck here. Let's move forward. But how do you move forward when you're not moving at all? Spiritually? Spiritually, some of you remember a time or a season in your life when it's like every time you prayed for something, God would show up. And if he didn't show up and answer your prayers, it's like every time I prayed for something, he would show up, if not answering prayers, answering with his presence. And it was like, he didn't answer, but I can tell that he's near. He's so close to me, and I experienced the warmth of his presence in my life. And I know that. And now, fast forward, I've been praying over the same thing over and over and over and over again. And he's not showing up with an answer to my prayer. He's not showing up with an answer with his presence at all. He feels that much more distant. I pray and pray and pray and my prayers are not clearing the roof of the car that I'm in when I'm praying those prayers. Like, come on. Come on, God. I pray and what do you show up with? You're not showing up with a pillar of fire at night. You're not showing up with a wet or dry fleece that I continually put out. You're not showing up with a parting of the Red Sea so I can walk across on dry land. You're showing up with silence. How am I supposed to move forward, God, when I'm not moving at all? Stuck is what we're talking about this morning. Now, we're going to open up the scriptures, and we're going to hear this story continuing on in our study of Acts. And we're going to see, we're going to see that the, the people in this story are not moving forward at all, but it does not mean for a moment that God is not on the move in their life or in yours. We're going to go to Acts Chapter 18, if you'd, like to, uh, if you'd like to follow along for a little while here. Uh, Acts chapter 18, and we're going to kick it off here in verse 1, where we see this interesting little line uh, after this. Acts 18, verse 1, the first little line is after this. Uh, Paul left Athens, and he went to Corinth. But, Corinth, but uh, the thing that I want to highlight is the after this. Acts chapter 17, Paul just got done. He kind of has this awesome moment hanging out with these, uh, these philosopher types in Athens, like you know, the, the birthplace of Greek philosophy, and he, he goes up on this hill, and he's talking to really people a lot like the, the people who wrote those philosophy textbooks that you studied in Philosophy 101, you know, back in the day. And he's hanging out with them, and he sees this monument to an unknown God. He's like, hey, perfect opportunity, perfect. And let me tell you about the unknown God that you don't know about, but, but I do know. And so he has this cool interaction. And it goes really, honestly, probably better than he thought that he would, but then called him, God continually calls him to kind of keep on moving. And that's really what Paul does, and that's why we're phrasing it this way, is Paul is continually on the move. And so after this, Paul did what Paul does. He left. 
He's on the move. He's moving. Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Uh, If you've uh, studied the Bible a little bit in the past, that might ring a bell. There's uh, two letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. That church, uh, those letters were called First and Second Corinthians. It was probably, honestly, four letters that were written to the Corinthians. We have two of them, probably two and four, but we've just named them First and Second Corinthians. It's a confusing story. You didn't need to know most of that. That's all right. But he left Corinth. This, uh, what we're going to read, this is like the origin story of the church in Corinth. There's going to be a lot of different places that are mentioned. There's a lot of different names that are mentioned. And I think... If you hang with and pay attention to the names and the places, I think it's going to be, the juice is going to be worth the squeeze. So we're going, to, we're, we're, going to, we're going to buckle in and we're going to pay attention here. Okay, verse 2. So there in Corinth, he met a Jew named Aquila, that's a he, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now before we move on, it's, uh, it's Priscilla and Aquila is how you probably know their names. It's, it's kind of interesting that her name comes first, isn't it? You ever notice that? Like, uh, they're referenced half a dozen times in the New Testament. Like, this is the first time they're not going away. Their names are just getting that much more prominent. Three different letters, Paul talks about them. Her name comes first almost every time except for this one. And I don't, I don't totally know why, but we do know a little bit about what happens to them. In just a moment, I'll explain more. But they become really key players, key leaders in the church and, and whenever they're mentioned, her name comes first, which is really unheard of in the day. It's unheard of really today. It's kind of like sort of the accepted vernacular. At, at a wedding, when I introduce a couple, and I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, Dirk and Kristen, right? It's, his name always comes first. It's just kind of how things are. The only reason that I can kind of come to, and this is honestly my speculation more than anything else, I, I read a little bit and I was kind of curious, so I wanted to learn more. The, the best thing that I can come up with is... His name usually come first. Back then, that was very much the, the accepted protocol. Except in scenarios when you know one of the couple more than the other. Right? So my wife works in, uh, in Holland, which is a little ways away. And, uh, and around here, you know, around you guys, and I'm like talking on the stage and all that. And I'm like, oh, I'm Dirk and this is my wife, Kristen. But when I go to Holland, things change. When I go and visit her workplace... What happens is, is the dynamic changes. And it's like, oh, this is Dirk. This is Kristen's husband, Dirk. And so it's a bit of speculation, but I, I just love to kind of point out that I think Priscilla gets named first because this is an awesome ministry couple who's deeply involved in the church. And I think that Priscilla is just one of those people who serves and gives so incredibly much. It's like everybody in the early church knows her. And it's like, it's Priscilla. You guys know, you know Priscilla. You, you, you remember the thing that, that Priscilla did. You remember the word that she shared. You know Priscilla. And, of course, we have her husband, Aquila. That's a little bit beside the point, though. So these two awesome, awesome ministry couple, uh, they show up from Italy because, and Luke is writing Acts, and it's just, it is such an almost like, almost throwaway line. It's so small. Um, they recently came from Italy because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. There is so incredibly much in that one simple statement. Claudius is the emperor of Rome, and he had just ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. I want to say a couple things about that. The first one I want to mention is that anti-Semitism is not a new phenomenon. 
historically, what Claudius was up to as the emperor of Rome is he was running things, and he decided in his human wisdom that it was time to enforce uniformity even over unity. And the Jewish people had this way of living their life, and they didn't really fall into the expected Roman customs. And so he said, fine, if you can't fall into uniform with the rest of us, then please exit. And this wasn't like a new phenomenon either. Several uh, previous Roman emperors have expelled specifically Jewish people from the city of Rome for a little while until they change their mind, like a toddler does, or... Or maybe it's when the new emperor came and said, okay, listen, uh, Jewish people, you guys, you guys can all come back home now. Uh, but the point is that Priscilla and Aquila were driven away from Rome, away from Italy. They end up in Corinth in Greece where they meet Paul. Now, the part about this that I find so fascinating is that I don't think Priscilla and Aquila saw this as an awesome new ministry assignment. I think they were forced to live outside of their hometown for an undetermined amount of time. And I think that they dreamed and longed about the day that they could go back home, as many of us would also. I think that they were out there in Corinth just waiting and watching to hear the news from Rome that it's time that we can come on home. And that time and that hour did not come. And so I think as days turned into weeks, turned into months, I think that what they probably experienced there was being stuck. I think that there was a time when Aquila turned over and talked to his wife, Priscilla, and said, how do you move forward when it feels like you're not moving or you can't move at all? And they were introduced to a man named Paul, as we heard in the story. They're also going to be introduced to a couple of other guys named Timothy and Silas. They were going to be introduced to Apollos and lead him to the faith. And they would continue to invest in this young man, Timothy. And then Timothy would instruct other young, wise men in leading the church and entrust this gospel still to others. Priscilla and Aquila didn't go away. See, they... There's an element here where we could, we could look at a couple like this and say, I don't know how you can move forward when you're not moving at all. You guys are just plain stuck. And they said, no, 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 we're not stuck against our will. We are positioned for the glory of God. And you guys, that's a, that's a huge, huge statement. As we think about those times, those phases, those seasons in life, when we're like, I'm stuck here against my will. And I'm like, no, 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 no. you are positioned for the glory of God. How do you move forward when you're not moving at all? Come on. You don't have to move to experience the glory of God, to give him the glory that is so due him. I think about walking the perimeter of our enclosure like zoo animals with my wife and how stuck I was. Physically, we didn't go a whole lot of places, but man, emotionally, I am so grateful for those moments, for those conversations spiritually for the things that we learned in that time. So grateful. You know that well-meaning person who comes to you in that difficult hour? Kids are screaming as you're loading up the groceries on the a, on a, on a checkout belt, and it's like 30 seconds and we can be out of here. I just want to desperately get out of here. And, and the person behind you in the midst of the pandemonium and all the shouting, and, and they knock, they point at you on the, on the shoulder, they poke you on the shoulder, and they say, isn't this a precious thing? 
And you wonder, how could they, right? They have kids. They know what it's like, don't they? How could she look at me and honestly, with a straight face, tell me that the days are long, but the years are short? Don't you get it? You know what happened? She forgot. She forgot how hard it really was to be stuck in that stage or in that phase. May we be a people with humility enough to say, there may be a time years from now when I too forget how difficult this time is. And Jesus, would you give me the wisdom in those hours of need to remember it is a phase. And this too shall pass. So make the most of it. You're not stuck against your will. You are positioned for the glory of God. Here just for a little while, stuck in West Michigan. I'm a little offended by that. I love this place. It is my home. I'm not leaving. But I've talked about this place as an airport terminal in the past, and I know people are passing through. I know you're here just for a little while. And I'm staffing the airport. That's what I get to do. If you call this place your forever home, you're staffing the airport too. If you're passing through, dig in. Get to know somebody while you're here. You're not stuck. You're positioned for the glory of God. I get to live out the great commission of making disciples all over his world. Not by leaving West Michigan, but by getting to know you. In the season that you're in, you're not stuck. You're positioned for the glory of God. Vocationally, you might feel like you're not going anywhere. You're not leading. You're not being trusted with more responsibilities. The, the promotion line has ended in your 30s and now your 40s coming up on 50. And it's like, what am I doing here yet? I'm just stuck. And he's offering you this out, and he's offering you this invitation. I've been thinking more and more about ministry all the time. You're not stuck. You're positioned for the glory of God. He has something for you here. He has something for Priscilla and Aquila. Let's, uh, let's move on right now. We've got the, the next line. So Priscilla and Aquila, Paul, he went to go see them. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, when he says tent maker, it, it probably means somebody who's... Uh, who's worked a lot in, uh, with like leather goods. So building tents, patching tents. Uh, it's probably like shoes, they, belts, any, anything that you can imagine with leather. Paul is probably an expert in this sort of thing, which kind of changes my impression of Paul a little bit because I think about him as like um, this, uh, it's kind of like soft fella, you know, who's like, oh, he's like a church person, you know, he's probably got soft hands and he's, you know, he's, he's used to dealing with people, right? I can say that because it's like, that's me. But uh, but he's also like, I mean, leather goods, right? I mean, like this was his, his skill, his, his trade that he has crafted. I mean, he's, he's probably a tough guy. But anyway, um, he's, uh, he's a tent maker as they were. So Priscilla and Aquila, they're also all working on this thing together. And he stayed and he worked with them. And every Sabbath, that would be Saturday for them, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade, trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks. And we're going to see a split on that in just a moment. But I also just love like the vocational connection that he has. Like there's not a difference between Sunday and Monday for him or, or Saturday and Friday for him. 
Uh, like he's, he's building tents, he's working with his hands, he's also, he's doing it all for the glory of God. And he's doing this thing, he's hanging out with Priscilla and Aquila, he's investing into them. He's not stuck on a job site somewhere just waiting to get out so he can do some ministry finally. He's like, oh no, 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 I'm on the job site with Priscilla and Aquila. They are my ministry that I'm pouring into them and God is about to honor that. So he's in the synagogue and then he's trying to persuade both Jews both Jews and uh, Gentiles, when a couple of new guys, Silas and Timothy, like I said, it was a lot of names and places from Macedonia. You don't have to remember that, though. Um, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself, powerful word, exclusively to preaching. I don't know if these guys came with some money. I don't know if they came with a giant gift or if they came and they're like, hey, show us how to make the tents. So we can, we can get you doing what you do best, like talking to people about Jesus. That's where we need you. And so Silas and Timothy show up, and, and whatever they do, they do it in such a way that Paul doesn't have to make tents anymore, and he commits himself to preaching full-time, testifying to the Jews. Remember it was Jews and Gentiles a moment ago? Now it's just the Jews, right? He's like, yes, finally, I can commit. I can go all in on the people that I am most trained to impact the Jewish people, that Jesus was the Messiah. But they were not so impressed with him. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he participated in this, uh, this ancient ritual of shaking out clothes in protest. You see it over and over again in the Old Testament. Shook off the dust of his feet, or his clothes in protest. And he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. See, he, he goes all in when Silas and Timothy show up. He goes all in on, on preaching and sharing the message with the, with the Jewish Christians. Kind of at the, at the neglect of the Gentile Christians. And the Jewish Christians, for whatever reason, were not receptive to Paul. Which is really surprising, isn't it? Because if you've been around the church for a little while, if you, if you study some of this stuff, you know Paul is a smart guy. I mean, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He was the best of the best in his world. He was a leader in the Jewish church. Remember the whole conversion thing? I mean, he was fierce. He was zealous. He was, a, he called himself a Jew of Jews. I mean, he knows. Circumcised on the eighth day. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He's like from the right cloud crowd. He's, uh, he's got the right pedigree. If there's anybody in the world that God would use strategically connect, to connect the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians to Christ, it would be Paul. Yet, they're the ones saying, I don't know, man. You're not talking my language. And he's like, how am I not talking your language, right? Like, I come from you. This is our language. And so he shakes it off and he's like, fine, from this time on, I'm done with you. I'm going to go after the Gentiles instead. And there's like a couple things. There's a part of me, there's a part of me that's like, okay, Paul is just done with religious people. And there's a part of us that's like, I deeply understand that. <laughs> like, I am done. I just want to be out, right? And if, if you're on the fence, or maybe you're going to send this message or this clip to somebody who's on the fence, and it's like, what has put you up on that fence has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with the sacrifice of Jesus, but has everything to do with how you have been treated by religious people. And I want to say, Paul gets it. What he doesn't do is he doesn't give up on God because of how religious people have treated him. 
I will admit to you, I cannot carry a tune in a bucket. But if I were to go over to the piano right now, and if I were to play a little, a little Bach for you, I don't even know if I'm saying that. Is it Bach? Is it Bach? I don't know. We've got a bassist right over here, maybe. Who knows, right? I don't know. I don't know how to play this thing. It just all looks like a bunch of buttons and knobs. But if I were to, I were to try and, and to play that as poorly as I'm going to play that, you know what we don't do? We don't go over there and we don't say, like, Bach was a terrible, terrible person at writing music because of how Dirk played it. We don't do that, right? Because somebody else is going to get on there and they're going to tickle that ivory. It's going to sound beautiful. And we're like going, man, that person can play and Bach can write. God made you and me. God made people. He made us in the image of him, of himself. You know, and when, when people mistreat that and don't represent him well, what we don't do is say, God, I mean, like, look at this, right? I cannot trust you as the composer, the, the author of this whole thing, because of how we have so messed this thing up. We don't, we don't do that. So Paul, he, just, he gets so fed up with religious people, but he doesn't, he doesn't reject God. He moves on. He gets so fed up with religious people, but he doesn't get stuck with the religious people, even though it, it looks like they should, they should be a natural fertile ground for him, he moves on. I love this because one of the things, church, that keeps us stuck is how we have seen God move in the past, and we just cling to that and hang on to that. Paul has had success talking to Jewish Christians and sharing with them the hope that he has in Jesus as the Messiah who died for their sins. He's watched them come to belief and come to the faith. And what he doesn't do in that moment is saying, because I've seen God move one way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stake everything on only that. He's also attentive to how God might be leading him on in the future. In the church world, we do this sometimes where we have seen God move in the past and we get so hung up on that. Maybe it's a style of music. Maybe it's a favorite song that we like to sing or a ministry tactic that we use, some kind of strategy. And we just get so hung up on that thing that we forget that we're stuck there when God has asked us to, to, keep, on, to keep on moving. In Genesis 19... We see a powerful story about what this looks like in the most tragic way possible. If my counting is correct, there's about 170 women that are named in the Bible. Only one of them does Jesus say, remember, remember her. Lot's wife in Genesis 19 is the story. In Genesis 19, an angel comes to Lot and his family, wife included, and says, you need to run. Get out of these cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and do not look back. It, I don't know if it, God uses like this volcano or this, this fire that breaks out, whatever. He's like, do not look back, even for a moment. Get up and start running. And so they do. And they're tearing out of that place. And you know the story, maybe, if you grew up with it. In Genesis 19, what happens? She looks back, and the Hebrew word that's used there to say look back, it doesn't just mean gesturing back, it's that she longed back. She longed back for the things, for her old way of life. She longed back, and what happened? She was turned into a pillar of salt. I mean, the, the story shows like, like her heart longed back for the, things that, uh, for the things that used to be, for the way that things used to be done. And she was calcified in that moment in a place that she was only meant to be passing through. 
She became forever stuck there. And the, the encouragement of us in like taking this word from, from Paul, from the Jews to the Gentiles, hey man, you may not have had that plan, but what God is asking you is don't be so attached to the past that you forget your hope for God's future. I talk to people all the time, they're like, man, I did not go to school to get into ministry. I went to school to be a teacher. I went to school for business accounting. I just wanted a stable job. And it's fine now. It's okay. I can pay the bills. I can do life. It all seems fine. But there's like a part of it that my heart is no longer in that. I'm like being called more and more all the time into ministry. But yet I already made a commitment here. I mean, I guess, and it's fine. And I want to say, listen, God has the right to call you into something new. Like he did with Paul, calling you into something new. Don't be so attached to the past that we forget God's hope for you in the future. The future for Paul looks like the Gentiles. But what do they say? If you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plan. Paul left the synagogue, right? Because he's done with these Jewish people, right? He left the synagogue and he goes to the house of of Titius Justice. It's like the most Greek-sounding name in the world. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Luke made it up, just to like drive home the point. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't make it. He goes to the house of Titius. He writes it in there because he's like, if you want to talk to Titius Justice, this is where he is. He lives next door to the synagogue. He's a worshiper of God, but it's the most Greek, non-Jewish-sounding name in the world. However, because of God's sense of humor, Crispus, the synagogue leader... And his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Paul like shakes off, you know, the dust of his sandals. I'm done with these Jewish, uh, you know, leaders. It's like, I'm done with corporate America. And then Jeff Bezos shows up with his whole family. And he's like, let's get baptized. You know, we're all in. I'm like, okay, after this one. And then I'm done with this whole thing, you know, once and for all. And he wants to get out of there because that's what Paul does. He moves. He doesn't get bogged down. He doesn't get stuck. And then one night, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, and this is such a powerful line. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. No one is going to attack you and harm you. Again, because I have many people in this city. And so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. I believe that's the longest that Paul stayed in any city that he wasn't imprisoned in. He wasn't stuck there, though, was he? He wasn't stuck against his will. He was positioned for the glory of God. Whatever setting that you can identify that you feel at times that you're just stuck in and you want to run, you want to escape, you want to get out. How do you move forward when it doesn't feel like you're not moving at all? Two takeaways. Two questions. The first one that I'm going to ask you is, are you investing your life into others? That's how Paul doesn't get stuck. He's able to influence the whole world without leaving Corinth. I'm able to influence the whole world without leaving West Michigan. Why? 
Because this is what we're doing. We're investing into others. Paul invests into Priscilla and Aquila while he's making those tents. Timothy and, Titus, or, uh, Timothy and Silas show up. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila meet Apollos. They pour their life into Apollos. Apollos to Timothy. To Timothy, still others. He becomes the pastor of a church in Ephesus after Paul leaves there. I mean, it's just like beautiful uh, links of a chain, one person to another. And some of you, everybody probably could look back into your past and it's asked, how is it that you heard about Jesus? How did you hear about this awesome message of grace? It was because someone told you. Someone told you. Maybe it was a family. Maybe it was a coach. Somebody told you. A teacher, a mentor, a friend, a roommate. And the chain just gets that much longer. Don't be the end of the chain. How do you move forward? Invest into others. You're not stuck here. You're positioned here. The people that you're with. Those of you who've just ended Rooted, we have a little celebration a little later on. The next round of Rooted starts in January. Some of you, Jesus is asking to get out of your comfort zone and to sign up for that. Others of you, he's saying, it's time for you to be a leader here and to invest into others. Second question that I want to ask is, are you risking enough to need God's help? This is where, where Paul says, okay, I'm going to stay. Even though, they, even though they opposed me, even though they abused me here, Jesus, you showed up and you told me to stay, so I'm going to stay. I'm risking it. I'm risking my life. I'm risking everything. This is a powerful, indicting statement for many of us, present company included, but, but maybe we're not like trading God's plan for my plan. Maybe we're just living our plans all along. Maybe we're living out my plan, but it's like, but it has religious candy coating over top of it to make it go down sweet. But we're not following after God at all because we're not risking enough to actually need God to show up as we see Paul do again and again, as we see Jesus do Again and again. If we're honest with ourselves and we ask ourselves these two questions, maybe in the car ride on the way home, maybe just in a, in a quiet, reflective moment as we end our time in worship today, are we investing into others? Are we risking enough to need God's help? If we're honest with ourselves, we're going to say, probably not. Not like we saw Jesus do. Not like we see Paul do again and again. Not like we see so many others do. If we're honest with ourselves, probably not. We can look around. Our youth group has these connections to God's vision for Haiti, and we see people do it again and again, put their whole lives on the line. An awesome family from Encounter Church here in West Michigan is now starting Encounter Church in Kathmandu, Nepal, putting everything on the line where it's illegal to actually become a Christian and there's a punishment that comes along with that, especially for the church leaders. Like, come on. Are we investing into others? Are we risking enough to need God's help? Probably not. And when you're asking, like, well, how can you go back to church? How can you continue to worship? I mean, how can you get, keep giving your life over, even though you know you're not doing a good enough job? And the best way that I can explain it, and I don't even know how this whole thing works, but the best way that I can explain it is you guys have, like, um, you guys have like GPS navigation on your car? You guys have a car? Let's start there. Yeah. 
you, you, you've been on this trip where you're like, maybe you're in a city that you're unfamiliar with, maybe it's raining, there's cars over, heavy traffic, tons of streets, I don't know, but you're on the highway and you've got to like zig over like seven lanes of highway and you're like, I'm never making that exit, not a chance in the world. So what do you do? You just keep going straight because you got GPS going, right? And the GPS thing, when you miss your exit, what's it going to do? Recalculate. It's going to find a new route to get to wherever you're going. It's going to find a new route to eventually get home. And you can just keep on going and you can miss exit after exit after exit. And you can get this thing wrong a thousand and one times. And it will always give you the directions to get back home. That's grace. Along the way, though, as you make mistake after mistake, as you get it wrong a thousand and one times, as you miss those exits, I don't know where you're going to end up. You might end up in a place you do not want to be in, friend. You might end up in the middle of nowhere with no gas stations around and potholes the size of your car. Those, those conditions might deteriorate. But I promise you this, you will have a way to get back home. It's the best way that I can describe grace to you. We get it wrong again and again. But Jesus, was he stuck? Did he find himself for three days and three nights stuck in the grave? He knew it was coming. He predicted it several times. No. No, he wasn't stuck in the grave. He was positioned in the grave for the glory of God. And you are too. Come on home. It looks like talking to somebody at one of our prayer tables in the auditoriums. It looks like talking to me or your location pastor, maybe a friend that you came with today. Let's start the conversation today. I want to invite you to stand up. Let's pray together as a community. Jesus, you weren't stuck. Wherever you found your, yourself to be, you knew what we're still learning, your position for the glory of your Father in heaven. God, this week we're going to find ourselves pulling our hair out. We're going to find ourselves frustrated and overwhelmed. We're going to find ourselves longing with our hearts to be somewhere else entirely, maybe with somebody else entirely. Spirit, remind us in a way that only you can, that we are not stuck or positioned for your glory. Help us to invest into others. Help us to risk again and again relying on you to show up. In your name we pray. Amen.